how can one remain reflexive about one's own scholarly practice? And what does this reflexivity do to the actual practice of scholarship? About this and many other important topics is this conversation with Florencia Engel in this new episode of El Café Latinx. What is the experience of being a Latinx or Latin American scholar in the field of communication and media studies? What are the main challenges and opportunities that come with our identities? These are the issues that we'll talk about in El Café Latinx, where some of the leading voices in the field will share their professional experiences. Hola, my name is Pablo Wojcicki. I teach at Northwestern University, where I hold the Hamid bin Khalif Al Thani Chair in Communication. Together with Mora Matassi, doctoral student at Northwestern and executive producer of this podcast, we invite you to discover the journeys of scholars who are at the cutting edge of creating knowledge about Latinx or Latin American communities across the Americas. These are our stories. Esas son nuestras historias. Estas son nuestras historias. Welcome to this new episode of El Café Latinx. I am thrilled to have with us today Florencia Engel. Florencia is an associate professor in the School of Education and Communication at Young Copping University in Sweden. Before that, uh, she was a senior lecturer and a postdoctoral fellow at Malmo University in Sweden. And before that, uh, she was co-director of the master's program in global media studies at Karlstad University. Florencia did her undergraduate in pedagogical sciences with a specialization in administration, organization, and educational planning at Universidad de Belgrano in Argentina. Then she did postgraduate studies in cultural management at National University of San Martin, also in Argentina, and then uh, an MA in Communication for Development at Malmo University in Sweden, and a PhD in Media and Communication at Karlstad University, also in Sweden. She is the author of many articles and three edited volumes, um, is the recipient of important prestigious awards, including currently a Marie Curie Fellowship, and has been very active in the um, professional societies of the communication and media studies field, including ICA and IMCR. Florencia, welcome to El Café Latinx. Thank you, Pablo. Gracias. Good to be here. Delighted to have you with us today, my friend. So let me ask you, how did it all begin for you? That is, how was the start of the journey that led you to become an academic? Actually, it was a journey in steps. Um, and uh, there was professional work in between each step. I did go to university um, almost straight from high school um, for my bachelor's degree in Argentina. I wanted to study education um, and I did that. And uh, after I graduated, I just wanted to work. It was my tough luck that that was the beginning of the 90s in Buenos Aires. Um, so the government of uh, Carlos Menem, for those familiar with Argentinian politics, 
And the only kind of job that was offered to me because of my degree and background at the time was the kind of work that would have led to contributing to dismantling the Argentinian public education system. So I, you know, I was young and full of energy and I thought, no, I don't need to work for you. I don't want to do that. I'll find something else. Um, so I started shifting slowly from education to communication uh, professionally. And uh, those were interesting years in which I worked with uh, feminist media experiments and ended up uh, producing first documentaries and then for a short period of time, um, even feature films for theatrical release. And uh, I produced a series of uh, documentary films with indigenous communities in the north of Argentina. That was the second half of the 90s, let's say. And by the time we had completed those three documentaries, I was I realized that I was craving for an opportunity to reflect on that work. We had done a lot. It had been fun. It had been challenging. It was well received, small scale, but well received. But there was so much to think about. And, um, and I started craving for returning to university. Uh, so the first step I took in that direction was this postgraduate course in cultural management um, that I did also in Buenos Aires, but that wasn't enough. And uh, eventually I heard that uh, Mama University in Sweden, a country that I had never visited by then and that I had never thought of visiting, to be honest, uh, was starting, um, they weren't starting the masters. The masters had existed for two years, but initially it had been offered only to um, Nordic uh, students, but, but they were going global. Um, and at that point, that was 2002, um, education in Sweden, higher education in Sweden was still free for all. So we could apply for the masters from anywhere in the world. And if we got selected, uh, the education would be for free. Uh, I applied and I got in. Uh, and I did my masters. And that was the first significant step towards being an academic today. Uh, it took me a while because I had, I, I didn't have one job, I had two jobs. I, I was editor of publications at the Latin American Council of Social Sciences. That, that was the job that paid for my everyday life. And I was also producing movies that, you know, movie making in Argentina, you're always owing somebody money. So I, I wasn't cashing much at the time. Um, so it took me until 2005 to complete the master's um, and I actually wrote my thesis reflecting on uh, those documentaries that we had produced. Um, then I went back to professional work, but the craving sort of remained. Um, personal circumstances brought me closer to Sweden. I fell in love with a Swede. Um, I decided that I was gonna try to live in Sweden, but uh, of course I needed um, work. I, could, I, I wasn't willing to move to Sweden just for love. 
um, it was major love, it still is, but that was not going to keep me alive. Um, I had been thinking of a PhD, I had been doubting for years whether that was what I wanted to do or not, it was a lot of time, what was it going to lead to, etc. And eventually I took a job in Sweden, not as an academic, but as an editor of an organization similar to Klaxobet of an international scale. And uh, that job was so well paid that I started attending the IMCR conferences just to hang out with academics. I could pay my way. And uh, I had the freedom to hang out without you know, having um, a reputation at stake or a career at stake. And I think it was in Paris in 2017 that I was having coffee with, with an American scholar. And I said, well, I don't know what to do about the PhD. Should I do it or not? And he looked at me and he said, well, it's not the first time I've heard you raise this question, which means the question is not going away. So you might as well try. And if you're going to do it, do it now, because you're young enough, but you're not getting any younger. In 2009, I applied for a PhD position at Calstead University. This was my first application. I thought it was going to take a while until I managed to get a position, but, but that position was offered to me. Uh, so I started my PhD in 2010, and since then I have been an academic in Sweden. Very interesting journey. So, so having sort of experienced the academic system in a Latin American country like Argentina, and then as a student, right? And then the academic system in a European, in particular Scandinavian country. How would you characterize sort of the similarities and differences between both from your own experience or perspective of your experience? Well, first difference for me, I, I started, I first enrolled in the Universidad de Buenos Aires when I decided to study education. Uh, but for various reasons that had to do with the fact that I was a bit too young, um, I had an experience of uh, private school. Um, you know, I did my primary school and high school in a, in a private school. Things that were going on at the University of Buenos Aires at the time, uh, etc. Um, I, I couldn't adjust to the University of Buenos Aires. So I started doing my bachelor's degree in a private university, um, an Argentinian private university. So that was the first major shift for me. I went from the private university system in Argentina to the public university system in, in Sweden. Um, and, and that was a significant difference. Uh, the relationship to resources available is different. You know, there's, a, there's a joke that has been uh, made to me very lovingly over the years by my partner, but also friends in Sweden, which is, how are you doing with our taxes? And uh, there was a very clear sense that I was being able to, uh, I had that master's already, and I was doing a PhD thanks to these people's taxes. So it, it felt like a major responsibility. Um, there was a gap of several years between me doing my bachelor's degree in Buenos Aires and uh, 
I'm doing my master's and my PhD studies in Sweden. So it's not from there that I know the differences. I, I think the differences are clear now that I'm at a point in my career in which I am interacting more with Buenos Aires and Argentina as an academic. Um, but I would have to think carefully before I say anything for the record <laughs> about differences. Uh, one significant difference, of course, is that Sweden is a very small country. The field of communication and media studies is a very small field within a very small country. So it becomes sort of, uh, uh, of an extended family. Uh, extended families are always dysfunctional by definition. Uh, you know, everybody for, for good and for bad. Um, there are significant differences of scale and, and perhaps also today, this is already a tricky statement, but let's see how it comes out. When you have less resources, you seem to put more effort into defending those resources, perhaps. This is, I cannot generalize, of course, for all of Argentina, and I don't want to be unfair to colleagues in Sweden who fight very hard uh, for the uh, quality of our work conditions. But um, Argentina has, I mean, uh, if, if I compare public university systems, Argentina has much less resources than we have, beginning, for example, with access to journal articles. Um, and so you have to be more creative and you have to put more effort into, you know, getting your work out, I would say. Okay, um, very interesting. And then another aspect of this, since you alluded to the fact that you are sort of collaborating more and doing research in Argentina, how has been your experience? Because starting with your first graduate degree at Malmo, it's been almost 20 years, right? Yeah, it, it will still be 20 years, yes, since yeah. I started. Yeah. So how has your experience been of being a Latin American in the field of communication and media studies in Sweden? Uh, when I started my master's, I was really lucky because the uh, director of that course then was a guy called uh, Oscar Hammer, a journalist by training and a journalist that had traveled extensively in uh, Latin America before settling down. He's one of the translators of the work of Jorge Luis Borges to Swedish. So he was extremely fond of having um, international students in that first cohort of the course. And he was extremely attentive to the fact that uh, the mix would be productive for all. Um, so th that was, a, a, I would say, unique, lucky experience. Um, when several years later, I mean, I, I completed the master's, I graduated, I defended my master's thesis uh, in 2005, um, in the European summer of 2005. When I started my PhD in January 2010, I had already made a strategic decision that I would not do research on Argentina for my PhD. 
I knew more about uh, Sweden. I knew more about Europe. Um, as I said, I had been hanging out in academic circles. I, I had picked a few uh, cues and uh, and I thought and, and and I think I was right that if I did work on Argentina, there was a risk that a num not all of them, of course, but a number of my colleagues would from them on consider me an expert in Argentina. As if that was all I could do. Um, so I challenged myself and um, I did my research in the former Yugoslavia, my doctoral research in the Western Balkans, an area that I had never visited before and I had to learn uh, everything about. And, and there was another reason for that, and that's that, you know, communication for social change experts historically have traveled the world and arrived in places and pretended to understand cultures other than their own. So I thought, all right, is, is there a way of getting this right? Um, but this is all along the tour to say that uh, I waited for quite a while before I decided that I was, I don't want to say established, nobody's established these days, it's an uncertain world, but, but I felt safe enough to say, you know what? I'm not going to do research on, on Argentina. So how do you choose your projects and how do you choose your sites? Do, do you choose your projects? Some people say that projects choose researchers rather than researchers choose projects. Well, this project that I'm working on right now, I chose a project. Um, and the interesting thing is that I'm working with a three-year the research grant granted by the European Commission. Um, it's a fellowship that allows me to focus 100% on research, no teaching or administrative responsibilities. So, um, you know, a bit like winning the lottery and also a big responsibility. And uh, this was a project that I had to design in order to be able to uh, apply for the fellowship. Um, and it's a project that brings together concerns that I have had for several years. I think back and uh, second half of the 90s, I was super young. I had a degree in education that was good for nothing at the time because it couldn't get me a decent job that I was willing to do. I started doing what I could in order to earn some money. Um, and I ended up working with communication, the documentary making on the one hand, and, and feminist media experiments on the other. And, uh, and at the time, unlike today, when the movement has grown, um, feminists were also maybe, I don't know, I, I'm going to say it's a, it's a metaphorical number, not an actual number, but let's say there were 200. If you started hanging out with them, and uh, you didn't screw up. Eventually, you were hanging out with all of that. Um, right now, there are so many that you cannot capture them by going around the circles. Or, or let's say I'm not interested in the small circle anymore. I'm interested in, in what that has meant for uh, women in Argentina at large. So in a way, I'm returning to an early love with the project. And I actively uh, chose it myself. I mean, it, it was. I spent a whole summer uh, working on the project application instead of resting. Um, and uh, 
And I worked a lot on it and it fulfilled the criteria required in order to get the fellowship. But I also like to say that I got lucky in that, you know, it's a combination of uh, reviewers that you never know. Uh, but it was a project I wanted to work on at this time. And how do you think your earlier projects contribute to the to the ability to do this one now? Right. So it's clear mm -hmm. you said there is a trajectory, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of being more established in your career. Um, probably a life cycle that takes you back to a time and a place that had special meaning to you. But in the in between then and now you've done a lot of work right mm -hmm. um in different settings how, how do you think that work connects and so perhaps prepared you for the project that you're doing now that's a good question i have been thinking about that in the back of my head for the past few weeks um for sure i now have a bit more it's not faith but maybe confidence in in the fact that even if I can't see in advance how some methodological or field move is going to play out, I should try it. Uh, you know, when when I was told that the survey that that I work with now, it, which is one of my methodological tools, was just it was too long. People wouldn't be interested. Um, I didn't say, "All right, you're right. I should shorten it." I said, maybe, but I'm going to try before I decide to shorten it. And uh, it turned out that, no, it wasn't too long for the people who were interested in answering it. And it's been said to me before, and I recall this from my PhD experience, that um, I have a way of thinking. I'm not, it's important to know that I'm not trying to say that I'm special or unique or that I know better, but I have a way of thinking that tends to contextualize broadly. And uh, a doctor or supervisor might be concerned that it's too much for you to eventually handle properly at the end. Um, so I, I had brilliant supervisors, supervisor and co-supervisor. It was not them, but there were others saying, mm, you're trying to do too much. How is that going to hold together? Um, and I have a memory of uh, Professor Robin Mansell from LSE was my opponent at the Doctor of Defense. And uh, she did a brilliant presentation of my doctoral work before we started the discussion for the audience that were not academics. And at some point she said, she did this, she did that. She also did that other thing. And uh, she managed to pull all of this together. And uh, so now I know that's something that I can maybe do and that I shouldn't be scared of, of trying. So when I, you know, uh, I'm looking at this, but I'm looking at this in the context of that, and I'm also taking into account this other thing. Uh, yeah, it might be too much, probably too much for a single article, but not for a book. Let's say I, I have a bit more confidence in what I can do, even if it's not immediately understandable to others that are thinking in standard academic ways. Very interesting. Now, another 
sort of common denominator or undercurrent across a lot of your work is the issue of communication for social change, communication for development. You have, for instance, a couple of very early on articles with Karen Wilkins um, about that. Um, how does sort of an activist agenda, right, in part, or concern at least, if not an agenda, um, how has it informed your work? And, and what particular flavor do you think it gives the research and the, the actual dissemination of the findings? Um, I'm, I'm not gonna remember the time till now, but uh, I will look it up and uh, listeners can look it up. There is a wonderful article by my colleague uh, from France, Benjamin Ferron from a few years back. Uh, Benjamin had also worked, like myself, in, in his early career years on communication for social change, communication for development and related themes, uh, but, but closer to, let's say, uh, activist work. Uh, and he says in that article that uh, it's actually tricky for, for scholars, for academics to try to be both in that if you get carried away as an activist, you might lose uh, proper distance from the subject that you're trying to investigate. Um, there's an issue of reflexivity that you need to pay attention to. If you get too close, if, if you get too concerned with uh, advertising the good about what you're doing, then your ability to think critically is at risk. So I, I would characterize my work. It's probably the case that, that several colleagues might refer to me on the record as a pain in the ass if you ask about me. Um, because I have a thing with justice. I, you know, if we think of and this is the last uh, improper word that I used today. But if you think of calling bullshit as, a, as an activist strategy, then yes, I, I tend to do that. But I do that as an academic. Um, and I have a concern for social justice and, and it gets bigger as time goes by. Um, but I have never come close enough that it interferes with my um, critical thinking, I hope. And uh, we, we will see what happens now. It's, uh, there are some significant findings in my ongoing project that are going to be difficult to communicate because uh, there is, of course, um, critique that the state should listen to in what women are telling me. Uh, but there's also a certain amount of critique for a feminist movement that has been fundamental in Argentina in the past few years. But perhaps more recently got a bit more institutionalized or a bit too carried away in telling the story of its own success and has lost track a bit of some of the concerns that are worrying women. So it's, it's going to be tricky. I mean, it's going to be tricky to, to say this out loud, to, to put it in writing in a way that is constructive. And uh, I, I might piss off somebody who thinks 
that I shouldn't be sharing some findings because they go against some uh, bigger goals. We will see. Okay. Now, your concern for social justice has also sort of informed a different aspect of your professional persona, which is as a member of you know, professional societies. You've been active, for instance, in the ERIC uh, ethnicity and race division um, in communication, right? Ethnicity and race in communication division um, at ICA. Um, how do you see the evolution of conversations and discussions and concerns about social justice in the field of communication and media studies in general, in terms of the topics, in terms of theorizing, and also in terms of institutional apparatus, like you know what gets done at ICA, IMCR, etc. Um, hmm, what a question! Um, I I would say there is one step forward, two steps back, two steps forward, one step back. There is a certain ambivalence. Um, I have been less directly engaged with ICA in the past few years, but I get the impression that ICA has been trying harder in the past couple of years, uh, perhaps after uh, the significant contribution by my Dear, the amazing Paula Chakravarti, um, she wrote this piece, uh, Communication Also White, with other colleagues that you know, made a splash, to say the least, at ICA level. I, I, I can see that ICA is trying really hard. Um, I am extremely fond of IMCR in many ways, but I'm not sure that IMCR is trying as hard. Um, it's complicated. Um, part of the conversation is moving forward and, and there's a general sense that we can speak more openly um, about uh, racism, misogyny and so on. But at the same time, we keep learning about stories that are unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's the 21st century. Certain things shouldn't be happening anymore. So I don't know, I, I have a mixed evaluation. Okay, and you know, Scandinavia, Sweden in particular, yeah. have you know, as a country has had a, a very strong tradition of progressivism in public culture, for instance, in you know, being open uh, to political refugees uh, from different countries, including from Latin America during you know, the, the 20th century, the various dictatorships, in particular from the 50s onwards, etc. Um, um, how, how do these conversations, so it's a very different national culture than, uh, for instance, the US, right? Um, or other places in, in, in Europe. So how do these conversations about social justice in your experience unfold in a place like Sweden, right? Uh, versus what you see, what you hear um, what happens in the US or in Argentina or in other countries in continental Europe? Uh, conversations are happening. Um, I, I would say that uh, in some case, I mean, there's something interesting happening in Sweden right now, which is that there are um, second generation immigrants 
that have uh, grown up in Sweden, that have gone to school in Sweden, that speak perfect Swedish, that understand the logics of cultural capital and what have you in Swedish artistic, cultural, academic circles like any other Swede, if such an entity, if such a pure entity exists, it doesn't, of course. Uh, so there's a very interesting push coming from there. Um, and, uh, and what is perhaps quite different from the situation in Argentina is that Sweden still has a public broadcasting sector that is strong, that is healthy, that ordinary citizens trust, and that is taking, trying to take as much response. They are not perfect, they are far from perfect, and uh, there are gray areas and problems keep, you know, Sweden had, they didn't have uh, a Nuna Menos, but they had some sort of Swedish Me Too. Um, but there is push, and the, and the push is coming from actual Swedes, which are not uh, the kind of pure Swede that the far right would want us uh, to believe it's a proper Swede. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, cultural differences are gigantic. I, I like to tell the story. When I came to Stockholm in 2000, and end of 2008, to start working at, uh, as publications manager at this organization called International Institute for Democracy and Electoral Assistance. I was put in charge of a very small team. Uh, so I was next in line manager of a Swede. And, and we were part of the communications team. And there was a French in charge of the team and another Swede uh, as her uh, senior communications expert. We've all become friends and we're friends to this day, but the two Swedes tell the story of me during the first week uh, asking things and saying things. And they thought I was being so direct that it was scary. And I remember myself constantly toning myself down in order not to be scary because there is thing, this thing with Argentinian or more broadly Latin American directness. And, and Swedish politeness. And it, it, when you hear them tell the story to this day, it's hilarious because you can see the terror in their faces. And I couldn't tell. They only told me much later on when we had become friends. So it's, it's a, you know, times of discussion are different. But uh, of course, it's a major concern. Sweden has been and continues to be a very generous country in terms of. We have the 2008 immigration crisis in Europe, of course, and that affected Sweden as well. But historically, it has been very generous materially in receiving uh, immigrants, but not, not so successful in terms of integrating them. Stockholm is not New York, let's say. You can't see the, the, the mix. You need to go down south. You can see the mix in the streets of Malmo, but you cannot exactly see them in, in Stockholm, unless you go to specific suburbs. So there's an issue there. Okay, and now if I turn the tide in a different way, so, so having spent almost 20 years or 20 years of your life in, in Sweden, now that you have been in your home city and your home country for, for several months and you're doing a major project all around the country, um, do you see, Argentina different, 
Do you see, do you experience Buenos Aires differently? Are you, do you think you are perceived or seen as somebody else because you've been out uh, of the country regularly for so long? That's an empirical question. We should go around asking your colleagues and uh, it, 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 no, but I have some ideas. It, it's only been 12 years of living permanently in Sweden, but my relationship is almost 20 years long with Sweden, so you're right about that. Um, the interesting thing about coming and going between Stockholm and Buenos Aires is that it forces me to adjust the lens every time. Um, it, it's not, yes, this time I was away for 17 months in a row because of the pandemic for the first time in all these years. Otherwise I try to come more often because I have family and friends and because I need the mess that Buenos Aires is. Uh, after 17 months, yes, I saw differences and, uh, and they were worrying. I, I have tried to explain this by saying that I found Buenos Aires more broken than before in every sense this time. Of course, that's a very difficult thing to say because my close friends know what I mean and, and know where it comes from, but others might think, oh, look at her, now she got used to having an easy life in Stockholm where everything works. Um, but I would say that it works both ways. If, if I spend some time here and then I go back, I see I, I have this yeah, I, I, if there are problems, I will see them. Uh, that's, that's who I train myself to be. And I see them here and I see them there when I look. It works both ways. Okay. Now that you, you, you've seen things multiple ways and you experience the, the field of communication and media studies in, you know, in a number of countries and a number of situations, if you had magical powers and, and could be granted one wish about how you would like the field to change, what would you wish for? Uh, with a question, Paolo. And, uh, first of all, I want to say for the record, I never want to have magical powers, but, uh, but, it, but it's a brilliant question. Yeah, do, do not give me magical powers. I, I don't want them. But uh, something that I, a few months ago, my, my good colleague who has also been a mentor, uh, Pradeep Thomas in Australia, he interviewed me because he wanted his master's students to um, listen to him in conversation with uh, colleagues from the field of communication for social change or what have you. And he asked me a similar question and uh, particularly among those of us who have expressed in our work concerns with social justice, I would like to see, and this is something that you can ask from those of us who have tenure or the equivalent of tenure. I mean, Europe doesn't do tenure, but I have what is called a permanent position, which means that unless I screw up royally, in principle, I have a job until the day I retire. You, you can't, it's, we shouldn't be asking this from the younger ones who are still struggling to, you know, find decent jobs. But uh, I would like to see more reflexivity. I, I would like to see less egos. 
I would like to see uh, a, a more concern with uh, what I have referred to uh, as uh, communication for social change at home, you know, inequality among us, injustice around us. Uh, we, we've had the pandemic, there is increasing poverty, there is a serious problem of climate change. I, I wish we started doing more work that is of practical use to the citizens of the world, uh, rather than being so concerned with institutionalization, self-publicity, and blah, blah, blah. This is, this is what I would like to see. Excellent. Thank you very much, Florencia. This has been a fabulous conversation. Uh, thank you to our listeners for staying with us to the end. And I invite everybody to join us for our next episode of El Café Latinx. Thanks again, Florencia. This was super. Thank you, Pablo. El Café Latinx is a production of the Center for Latinx Digital Media in the Department of Communication Studies at Northwestern University. I am Pablo Wojcicki, your host, and I'm joined by executive producer Mora Matassi.